You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. UK voters take their country out of the EU. Who predicted Brexit and how when the smart money was on Bremain? Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear don't look like a lone hacker, but they do strike one oppo researcher as Lazy Bear. Ghost Squad goes after the U.S. military, and U.S. Cyber Command goes after ISIS. Ransomware continues to pursue businesses and individuals. Some old threats return, configure among them. Investigations into U.S. State Department emails continue, enabling technologies for the IoT, and, and, keep calm and carry on. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary and Week in Review for Friday, June 24th, 2016. The big news today is, as we expected, that the UK voted yesterday to exit the European Union. The vote means that Prime Minister Cameron's government will be out by October at the latest. The decision to leave the EU will have far-reaching policy and market implications for cybersecurity as well. We'll talk a bit later with the CEO of Expert System, the company whose research into social media trends called the vote for Brexit when most other prediction markets, even the betting shops, had the smart money on Bremain. In that other political story on this side of the pond, consensus is firming up that the DNC wasn't hacked by a lone hacktivist. Signs still point to Moscow. A former DNC researcher thinks Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear don't know much about opposition research. He would make Lazy Bear the third bear in this story. Ghost Squad hacktivists, largely associated with anonymous operations like Op Icarus against governments and banks, offers ISIS support by releasing a database containing personal data of U.S. military personnel. This support is at least objective, if not actually coordinated, and some observers regard the list as effectively another ISIS hit list. HackRead said the data looks legit. The release comes as U.S. Cyber Command takes an increasingly active combat support role against ISIS. 46 of the command's mission support teams are reported to be fully operational, 59 are at initial operational capability, and there are another 28 still to be organized. They're currently supporting U.S. Central Command in its operations against ISIS. Some observers of that effort recommend that anti-ISIS information operations against the self-proclaimed caliphate's online echo chamber be specific, granular, and tightly crafted for its audience. An expert from the International Center for the Study of Radicalization, the ICSR, at King's College in London recently characterized the members of that audience as, quote, what we call the cheerleaders and fanboys and wannabes, 
people who aren't actually members of ISIS, who aren't actually in Syria but are essentially freelance supporters, often based in the West. They are the ones who are giving the group its online oomph." End quote. In the world of cybercrime proper, Neutrino is serving cryptex to visitors of anime site Jcanime. The campaign mostly affects users in Latin America, particularly in Mexico. Ransomware remains the most worrisome form of cybercrime affecting enterprises, but older threats persist too. Lizard Squad may have subjected another gaming site to a DDoS attack. This time, the affected game is, for no discernible reason, Overwatch. The venerable Conficker remains the number one malware family. The Neku's botnet, used to spread Drydex and Locky, is back after a three-week hiatus. We attended the Cyber 7.0 conference this week, and a report is up on our website. The conference was concerned primarily with the Internet of Things and critical infrastructure. Today we have as our guest someone who will tell us about a key enabling IoT technology, low-power wide-area networks. Matthew Knight is a security researcher with Bastille Networks. He recently gave a presentation on low-power wide-area networks at the Jailbreak Security Summit. Currently we have 25 billion devices connected to the Internet in some way. And they project that by 2020 there are going to be 50 billion devices connected to the Internet in some way. Some of the the buzzier things that you'll hear about in the media today are the quote-unquote IoT devices. You're talking about your smart refrigerators, your smart door lock, all these different IP cameras, you know, things that would survey your home. Uh, On the more industrial side, you have some SCADA applications. That's like industrial control, uh, tracking. Um, You might have like vehicle fleet monitoring is an example of a, a, a wide range roaming application. You know, today a number of those devices are connected via wires. You know, you have power, of course, but when I say connected, I'm referring to Ethernet. But a lot of them are wireless, too. And, you know, we're talking about things like uh, cellular devices, which, you know, ultimately wind up getting into the Internet in some way. When we look at that, that 50 billion in 2020, fewer and fewer of those devices are going to be wired every year. So we're seeing this broad proliferation of wireless networks that are standard ones like Wi-Fi and cellular, but also some new emerging less standard technologies. On the industrial side, many devices connect using the older 2G cellular network. It's cheap and offers wide coverage, but its days are numbered. 2G has kind of worked its way in as this very popular interface for a number of these these IoT applications. However, AT&T and a number of the other domestic 2G carriers have announced that they're sunsetting those networks at the end of this year. They want to repurpose that spectrum for some of their more modern technologies. And the 2G standard is very old at this point. So they're going to be turning those towers off and, and using them for something else. This opens up opportunities for low-powered wide-area networks. The best way to describe it is it's just like cellular data service, but optimized for IoT and low-bandwidth applications. Uh, so when I say it's just like cellular data service, it's a very similar network architecture. You have a network of base stations in LPWAN ter- uh, terminology, they're often called gateways. And then you have end nodes that connect directly to that network of gateways via this wireless interface. LPWANs have the advantage of enjoying much lower startup costs, in large part due to the type of RF spectrum they use. Cellular base stations operate on restricted spectrum. You have to own the rights to operate on it in order to legally transmit. And the FCC regulates that. Now, there exist a number of pieces of spectrum that are referred to as ISM spectrum. It stands for Industrial, Scientific, and Medical, if I am getting that acronym correct. That is what, we, uh, what is referred to as unlicensed spectrum. 
basically what that means is you're allowed to transmit it so long as you're abiding by certain, certain rules and principles without having a dedicated use license from the FCC. And that's the sort of thing that uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, those are all in the 2.4 gigahertz ISM band. And, you know, when you go to Best Buy and buy a router, you don't have to immediately send off to the FCC for permission to use it. It's, it's, it's compliant with the FCC's ISM rules, so you're allowed to just take it out of the box and plug it in and, and emit. These low-power wide area network technologies that are gaining the most steam all operate in the ISM bands, which means that in order to become a network operator, you do not need to own a Spectrum license, which is really profound because that takes out an enormous cost of putting up a network. Of course, there's a downside to using unlicensed Spectrum. It can be crowded and noisy with lots of interference. Not only is there the potential for it, it's virtually guaranteed that you're going to have all sorts of collisions and all sorts of of interference in these in these unlicensed bands. And the way that they address that is through their phi layer technology. They've designed the phi that is the, the lowest level, the lowest uh, definition of the electrical specification to be very resilient to interference. Uh, so they have a number of very interesting technologies there uh, that make it, that, that give it a, uh, a very strong link budget that is its ability to extract signal from noisy channels and uh, also contributes to its range. As manufacturers bring LP-WAN products to market, some of their performance claims are quite impressive. There's, there's one LP-WAN called Sigfox that advertises 10 years on a single AA battery, which is you know, quite dramatic. Uh, I haven't tested that, but that's, that's what they're claiming. And in terms of range, LoRa, the technology that I've spent a bit of time looking at, uh, advertises up to 13.6 miles. So the performance is pretty dramatic. The way, of course, the way they get that performance is by trading on other aspects. Uh, both of these protocols are fairly low data rate, and they're designed to uh, to duty cycle very aggressively. That means they're designed to uh, to sleep for the the vast majority of their uh, lifetime. Matthew Knight says there's a lot of excitement and innovation going on in the space, including some unconventional applications. Actually, I was at a, at, at an event recently, and I met a guy who was developing LoRa connected rat traps. Those are, you know, exactly what it sounds like. They're devices that would go in your wall and, uh, and try to take care of a pest problem. But he wanted to know when, when, if they were being effective or not. So now whenever it catches a rat, it will send a message up over Laura and let them know. As a security researcher, Knight is interested in potential vulnerabilities of these systems. Some of these low-power wide area networks are uplink only, meaning they can only send messages up and they can't receive messages down. And... One of the effects of that means that they cannot wirelessly receive firmware. So if there's a bug that they're deployed with, they will have that until somebody physically goes there and either updates it manually or replaces the device. So there is the opportunity for some of these vulnerable devices to become entrenched for, uh, for quite a long time. That's Matthew Knight from Bastille Networks. He recently gave a presentation on LP WANs at the Jailbreak Security Summit. You can download his slides from that presentation at the Jailbreak website. Investigation into email security at the U.S. State Department continues as more emails come to light revealing the department's temporary lowering of its spam filters to enable its networks to receive email from former Secretary Clinton's private server. The former secretary's concern, as expressed in contemporary emails, was to avoid any risk of the personal being accessible. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben Salem. She's the R&D manager for security at Accenture Technology Labs. Malek, I know something you wanted to share with us was your take on software-defined security. What can you tell us about that? Uh, correct. Let me start by saying why why we need software-defined security. Then I'll, I'll talk about what is uh, software-defined security as an approach. Recently, we've seen a, a new move or a significant move by companies transforming their IT infrastructure into software-defined infrastructure. And that's includes, uh, that includes software-defined networking, software-defined uh, storage, uh, server virtualization, or what is known as software-defined computing, um, basically creating software-defined data centers. Uh, and what this enables is that everything is provisioned, controlled, configured through software, which makes their IT environments very dynamic uh, and, and agile. Um, that in in and of itself creates creates new security challenges. Um, security analysts cannot keep up with the rate of change in the IT infrastructure environment. Uh, and that is why uh, we need a new security management mechanism. And this is where software-defined security comes in. Software-defined security basically is a new approach um, for uh, security management um, that abstracts the security management from the actual physical attributes of security controls. Uh, through this abstraction, it makes it makes security controls independent from uh, the underlying security appliances or hardware, and it makes security management more dynamic, more easily handled by security analysts. So, is this a matter of of uh, sort of setting up automation to be able to keep up with the velocity uh, of of what's happening on a software defined network? Is it that sort of thing? 
Um, yes, absolutely. Automation is absolutely one piece of it, but it, it's not just automation. It's also um, providing more scalability, decreasing the complexity of the security management so that uh, you can create services for certain uh, security functions that are independent of, of the hardware, let's say a firewalling service. Uh, regardless of the firewall that you have deployed within your infrastructure, all you need to uh, configure is that firewalling service, which would be applied to all, all of your firewalls uh, underneath uh, or an intrusion detection uh, service. All of your security policies can be implemented at the software level, regardless of the underlying security appliances that you have within your infrastructure. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Returning to the Brexit vote, not only has the pound sterling plummeted in international currency markets, but stock markets in Britain, Europe, and the U.S. are also taking a beating as investors and speculators are spooked by the Brexit's many unknowns. For the cyber sector, few expect many, if any, changes in British cyber policy. There are concerns, shared with the larger tech sector, about the labor market. Brexit is expected to make labor less mobile and more expensive than it had been. Most prediction markets had been confident that British voters would cast their ballot to remain in the EU. That obviously didn't happen, and the betting shops in particular are working to explain how the smart money might have backed the wrong horse. It seems to have been either a case of counting money more than heads, more money was placed on Bremain, but more punters went for Brexit, or else just one of those cases in which the long shot won. And here in Baltimore, we've seen that happen at Pimlico from time to time. We did hear from some people before the vote, however, who did get the prediction right. And since they did so through social media analytics, their work is of some cyber significance. Expert System, working with researchers at the University of Aberdeen, called the election for Brexit to us on Wednesday. Expert System CEO Daniel Mayer joins us to tell us what they saw and how they analyzed it. In this case, we're using a particular cognitive computing technology called text analytics uh, to process social media. This, this technology uh, recognizes concepts that are expressed in text and it recognizes meaning and uh, what that boils down to is that it it enables uh, the computer to understand uh, what we as humans are expressing. Uh, So for this particular study we analyzed something like 50,000 tweets. I think in this case we were maybe a bit lucky that some of the segments of the population that are using Twitter Uh, maybe were uh, not as well represented in other instances. And uh, I'm thinking particularly of the uh, uh, younger parts of the population and also perhaps 
Uh, you could imagine that uh, some of the most disenfranchised are, are maybe uh, a bit more vocal on social media. So that could account for some of the uh, uh, differences in signals that you get from social media on one hand and maybe through other methods. That's Daniel Mayer from Expert System. They've published the results of their analytics on their website and invite researchers and collaborators to take a look. Finally, our best wishes to our friends, colleagues, and listeners in the United Kingdom. Whatever the future looks like outside the EU, we trust you'll cope and thrive. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.